swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Welcome to Movie Mistrial. The podcast where we investigate the truthfulness of movies, included in the, included in the IMDb's top 250 movies of all times. My name is Johannes. And I am Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sorry, <laughs> I, am, I am Raji. <laughs> Today, we're talking about another film on that list. A movie that spawned various follow-up interpretations from Hollywood to Broadway, Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard was released on August 10th, 1950, and it won two Oscars, one for set design and one for the screenplay. Strong stands from the Academy. Did the screenplay warrant an award? <laughs> well, I guess it's up to us to take uh, these golden statues up and show the Academy how they were wrong. Well, that's the intro. Uh, in a few words, you know what makes you happy today, Mr. Raji? What makes me happy today? What makes me happy today? The Premier League season just started again and Newcastle is on the rise. Um, as, some, as an avid Newcastle fan, it's always good to see uh, your team win because it gives you one week where you can rub it all in your friends' faces. Um, <laughs> but generally speaking, it's my it was my daughter and my wife's birthday weekend, so we got to celebrate all of that shindig. And uh, now I get to relax for one day before we have to go back to work. So, yay! No kidding, no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> Newcastle, uh, I, I always... You know, Newcastle is, is attached to beer to me, which I love the Newcastle brown ale. Fantastic beer. Yeah, no no arguments from me. How about you? How's your week going? <laughs> it was pretty good. I um I've I feel pretty happy because I'm I'm back on Android. I gave iOS a fair shot, I felt like, for the goal was to do a week from like Sunday to Sunday. I switched on Wednesday. <laughs> I just cannot deal wow. with iPhones. iPhones are dumb. Sorry. It's annoying. Um, there's a lot of stuff that works really well. There's a lot of stuff that's really annoying. Um, you know, so I, I'm just happy to be back on Android. I think that uh, if you feel this strongly about it, I don't think that any, anything can convince you. No. As an avid uh, iPhone fan, I, I find those uh, statements sacrosanct. But <laughs> it is... It is what it is. You know, everything else in my household is like Mac, right? Mm. And um, iPads are great for like tablet stuff and all that. But when it comes to phones, cannot go there. Cannot go there. It just does not work for me. And that's fine. Wow. You know, but yeah, so happy to be back uh, with the Google infra infrastructure and everything works again. Yay me. It's and I don't know, I don't know what it is about Android. What, what is it? The flexibility is not real. Uh, well, I guess, I guess. Enjoy your Android, man. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want this to to break down into a Android versus iOS uh, podcast. And I know Next that can go on for hours. <laughs> Next up on <laughs> cell phone mistrial. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so there's that. And then, uh, you know, based on, on this movie, um, I started going back to the musical a little bit. And I still feel very strongly about that musical having one good song, the title track. But, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, but coincidentally enough, musical was also very famous for the sets. Um, so kind of a similar 
similar story as as the movie, I guess. But the original production had this gigantic, lavish staircase set that they could like lower from 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 the ceiling, basically. So uh, it was famous for that. Uh, you know, because in the 80s, musicals always had to have a big gimmick, like the chandelier, or cats, or people mm. in train costumes on roller skates, or gigantic staircases. Um, I did. I, I have seen... Uh, I did like the chandelier. That was a, that's a good song. That's Phantom of the Opera, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't listen to a lot of musicals, but some of them stand out. The soundtrack for Phantom of the Opera gets stuck in your head. Yep. yep. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> so yeah, Sunset Boulevard. You told me before we started recording earlier this week that you had this on DVD, Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. I had this on. Uh, I had this in my library. Yeah. Hmm. Never yeah. watched it. Yeah, but. I have it in my library. Right. Impressed that you have this movie. I, I felt like it's kind of a movie that's not super in the vernacular of today anymore. Mm. My wife loves it. Um, and when, when she was watching it, she was like, oh, I remember why I liked it so much. <laughs> interesting, interesting, interesting statement. Right. Um, right. You know. Well, to see... Um, what your wife likes about it. Let's hear a synopsis. Sunset Boulevard is a 1950 film noir directed by Billy Wilder. The movie depicts the dark and tragic tale of Norma Desmond, the faded silent film star living in seclusion in her decaying mansion in Sunset Boulevard. When struggling screenwriter Joe Gillis stumbles into her life, he becomes entangled in her delusional world, driven by a desire for a combat. As their relationship deepens, the film explores the destructive effects of Hollywood's obsession with fame and the blurred lines between reality and delusion. With a compelling performance and a haunting atmosphere, Sunset Boulevard delves into themes of ambition, celebrity, and the price of living in a past. And we're back. I think that's uh, a likable story. If you say so. <laughs> uh... <laughs> By some people, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to to determine though, if uh, I like the movie or you like the movie, we should flip a coin. So, what's it gonna be for that? I'm probably gonna go with the usual heads. Heads. I want to argue for this film. And the witness will address this court as judge or your honor. Your honor, Sunset Boulevard is a love letter. From Hollywood to Hollywood, or is it because it shows the dark side of Hollywood, the derangement and the uh, how big stars that people know are just kind of scrapped aside once um, they're no longer useful for the industry? Uh, it's it's a, Sunset Boulevard is another one of these movies that is fascinated with that switch between silent movie to talkies, which I think is just an era that Hollywood is strangely fascinated with and uh, we've had multiple movies now that kind of deal with this issue and what we end up with in Sunset Boulevard is a movie that is kind of a sleight of hands and it's very manipulative uh, on many levels we have Norma Desmond who's very manipulative 
we have Joe Gillis, who's also manipulating. And then the overall framing of the story almost reads like it's it's one of Joe Gillis's pitch meetings. It's like, okay, we have a story here. It starts with with a death, and there's narration, and it's this person that goes, you know, on and on and on and on. And the the overall monologue that keeps the story along very much feels like it's it's just kind of the the screenwriter, you know, explaining like all the the surroundings of it and kind of dragging dragging everything along. And I felt very manipulated by that. I think it's it's a movie that wants to be so in love with Hollywood because it's made by Hollywood that it's kind of losing the mark a little bit and it's too self-referential for non-Hollywood people to kind of enjoy. It's uh, it's telling us as just a story of abuse in a very weird way. Like we have this weird symbiosis where Joe Gillis meets Norma Desmond and Norma Desmond needs him, but she's manipulating him. She's controlling him. And it's just all very iffy. So it's, it's a very strange movie. It's kind of want to show the, the, the glory of Hollywood and the dark sides of Hollywood. But I feel like it it really is just a weird, dark story that is tragic about a star that's no longer a star. Um, but there's nothing really compelling there for me. So, you know, this movie um, stars um, Norma Desmond, um, you know, who uh, who who plays uh who's um who plays the character of somebody um that had gone through a period where their significance had been lost um you know uh norma desmond was uh, was portrayed by gloria swanson um who was a massive massive um silent film star um and the interesting thing is that um she's trying to portray the effects of the move from um, the talkies, uh, from the silent films to the talkies. Um, she happens to meet a writer by circumstance. He was running away from getting his car repossessed. And, you know, when she sees him, she starts to plot a comeback. Um, this woman has been living in her own head, living on the, funds that she had gained from the good old times. Everything around her is in decay. Um, she has withdrawn from life, um, resentful of where progress has gone. Um, and she has great, gained an unhealthy relationship with the world and with progress. And I think that the movie does a good job of portraying um, the impact of ego um, and the lack of interest, uh, the, the trap that a lot of Hollywood actors who gain an ego from a certain style of film, um, you know, and they do not want to move on from that specific style. So it's, it's interesting to see the, 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 um, the, uh, the degra- degradation from great movie star to, ultimately somebody who is growing uh, mentally uh, unstable. 
this movie is packed with Me Too moments. Uh, <laughs> Me Too moments, a lot of um, a lot of power dynamics because she's rich and the writer is broke. Um, she uses her wealth to manipulate him so that he can have sexy times. Um, and because he wants a future, um, he's broke uh, and he needs the money, he's happy to play along. Um, he forsakes her future in many aspects, including writing, because he's comfortable living with her. But the moment he decides to leave, it becomes overwhelming for her and she shoots him in the back. This movie is a horror film <laughs> uh, in some senses because it does portray some very, very dark moments uh, in human psyche. But I, do, I think the movie is quite effective in portraying the effects of, um, you know, the effects of that change from the from the uh, from the original style of films to the talkies, you know, she said something like, "We didn't need dialogues; we had faces." And we could see throughout the film, every movement she made was exaggerated because she was trying to portray something. So she was basically living, um, uh, where she was living in a world where she was always the main character. And as the movie comes to an end, she goes, all right, Mr. Daniel, I'm ready for my close-up. Which basically means that despite the fact that she shot someone, the whole police, everybody's out there. She only sees it as an opportunity for herself to get in front of the camera. It's a cautionary tale for Hollywood. And the reason probably why it won those Oscars is because Hollywood likes to tell tales of, of themselves. So this was just, uh, it just played in the books. I probably think this was one of the first films that kind of did started the Hollywood loves Hollywood kind of thing. Um, lots of good movies about the transition from talkies. I don't think this is one of the greatest, but I think it's quite good. Hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of delusion happening, right? And there's a lot of, like I said, manipulation happening. And it's, it's, it's messed up how you have Joe Gillis kind of sucker suckering her into giving him a job but then he's also kind of not so happy because she's very controlling um but he's he's a hustler and he's kind of a like he's not a great writer but he no. he makes her believe that he is so there there's kind of weird abuse already almost there and then like you said like she's she's doing abuse in return um like doing complete background check pretty much and just kind of you know finding out he's owing money but everything is taken taken care of and uh you know getting all his possessions from his apartment that is three months late in rent and uh just kind of moving him in and uh like have, organizing a party with no guests so she gets closer to him like there's a lot of just bizarre manipulation and the the key problem is that all of this could could have been avoided, you know, had anybody not kind of continued her perceived stardom and was like, you're done. Like, you're, you know, enjoy your life. You're done. You've done your movies. Just hang out on the couch, eat bonbons and be happy, right? But, but nobody ever gave her that 
that clear ultimatum. And it it's even in, in this movie, it doesn't happen when she kind of waltzes into Paramount and uh, tries to get a, her script sold. Um, everybody out there is also dancing around like, oh, we're not giving you a job anymore, which is also some kind of abuse. So this movie is like abuse all over the place. And I don't find that really interesting or captivating. Like it's it's sad to watch and it's very unlikable people um, due to the circumstances they're in more than not, more than anything. But does does this make a compelling movie? I really don't think so. Like I don't, I don't really get the the enjoyment in watching miserable people be miserable to others <laughs> to make them feel better. And this is this movie. So yeah, I I'm not convinced this is that great of a movie. You know, it's interesting you bring this up. It's it's quite. Uh... I mean, it's quite interesting to hear your perspective on the film, at least your argumentative perspective. The movie is designed uh, in such a way where no character is good. I think, I don't know, all the characters are ambiguous and they have a gray area. They all live in a gray area. Like you said, you know, the woman is manipulating him for her gain. He's manipulating her for her gain. The other woman who is trying to write a book with him is manipulating her boyfriend for her gain. Then she tried to manipulate the writer for his gain. The driver is manipulating the woman. They go into stores um, and, you know, she's buying him clothes and suits and the shop tra- shopkeeper is trying to manipulate him to buy the more expensive su- suits. There's no good person in this film. Everybody is a gray area. Um, so, you know, if you are saying that the argument is that, you know, everybody is miserable in the world they live, uh, then sure, maybe you have a point. But I also think that it's quite effective in trying to show that Hollywood is a place that is cutthroat. Nobody's looking out for for anybody else. Um, they're all looking out for themselves. Um, and, you know, she complains about the fact that she's getting older, the young ones are coming in, and they're all trying to take the space. Uh, it's a problem that still exists today. And I think that a lot of movie stars look at movies like this and go, okay, um, this is how she feels. I, I can appreciate it. I mean, uh, I was listening to a, a story about how Charlize Theron was thinking about they offered a role to Charlize Theron in Wonder Woman. And um, when Charlize Theron was excited about it, the uh, she was like, you know, do you think that the suit is going to fit me? And they're like, yeah, you're not playing Wonder Woman. You're playing her mom. Uh, and Charlize Theron was like, oh, I'm not ready for that yet. And she turned down the role. This kind of feels like that. It's like Hollywood has used you, irrespective of whether you're a good actor or not, they're ready to throw you out and bring in the new, the new kid. Um, I think that it's making a better job of it these days, but I don't think that it's ideal still. Um, but I think that this movie does a good job of capturing the mental anguish that actors uh, have to go through in situations like this. So that's my perspective on it. Yeah, but again, it's it's like you know keeping keeping stars on that pedestal, like that that seems wrong too then right like keeping them in in the belief that 
you know, that there's always that the carrot on the stick still in their minds because nobody ever kind of tells them it's like, hey, that that's that's gone now, you know. Um, or shifting, like I feel like the natural progression would be if you're not in front of the camera, then maybe you can work behind the camera to be still in the business. Um, but it feels like there's a big just kind of communication gap with her because she's delusional and she's still this big star and still wanted and she's not. Um, but no, nobody ever feels like they're able to step in and tell her that, you know, she's, she's kind of the Elon Musk of, of the fifties, I guess, of the movies where there's nobody that's, that's like, no, like giving a clear, like, nope, that's not what we're doing anymore. Um, because she would probably fire them. And, uh, that's just weird. I don't. I don't know. I think the the framing of this on first watch probably is like oh, it was him all along, right in the pool. Um, okay, it's kind of a fun story device. But if you think about it, so so he's doing the narration as well. So is he like a? like an omnipotent kind of god now that can speak about the story like where's that coming from right that's that's where my my argument about this almost feels like it's 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 a visualized pitch of a movie that we're witnessing because it's all like hey i have this great story it's about a writer who's failing he's meeting a, a silent film star she's filthy rich and she's abusing him she ends up killing him, but you know, this is what happens. This is what happens. And I don't know. I, I just feel like this, this, this whole movie was very clunky and mm. not, not that interesting because it's, again, it's like, it's just awful people being awful to each other, um, trying to gain that edge and nobody gains that edge at the end. Like he dies, mm. she gets arrested but mistakes them all for press and and kind of, you know, she's back back on a s- stage, mm. um, but she she's gonna lose. The butler will lose because he he doesn't have a real job anymore, and his his ex wife is no longer gonna be there. So it's like, what's the moral of the story here? Like, I guess don't be awful to other people. Okay, I knew this going in. <laughs> Right. I don't think it's necessarily don't be uh, awful to other people. I think that movies can be ambiguous. I think that's one of the things that we've we've learned uh, watching all these films. There are movies that are ambiguous and there are movies that are not. This movie is just telling the story as is. You talked about the omni the omnipotent writer, and I can tell you for sure that halfway through this film, I kind of figured that that was what was going to happen. Um, that you know the movie seemed uh, like it was um it was telling the story of somebody else but halfway through the film i was like just turned to laura my wife and i was like yo i think this guy is the guy in the pool um and all of those things i did like the structure it felt like a noir film at the very beginning um and it still felt like a noir film as the movie went on they did a good job of that um i i felt like uh, the movie did a good job of capturing the woman's insanity. Um, they did a good job of capturing the effect he had on her. Um, 
because I remember the first night he was there after he woke up uh, and he saw all these bags, he looked out through the window and he was talking about how everything was decayed. The pool was not being used. This was not being used. Um, a few years later, you know, a year later, he's there. You know, he died in the pool. And at the very beginning, he said, uh, I always asked for a pool. I didn't know it was going to be to my demise. So she was improving with him in our life. And the environment around her was improving too. So she was having some mental breakdown. He was there to help. Maybe he didn't want that as his goal for the long run. And at, a, at the end, he decided to leave. Um, but I, I think the woman reacted um, in, <laughs> in the ultimately the worst way possible. But I also think that the director did a good job with this. And they had good cameos, man. There were, there were cameos from Buster Keaton, uh, Cecil B. DeMille, lots of actors from the voiceless era uh, made cameos in this film. So it felt like a meta discussion about heroes of the past uh, having a, you know, a, a, their perspective on how Hollywood has changed and how it has affected their careers. So it was for what it, for for what it's worth. I think the movie is a good movie. I think that it does a great job of capturing exactly what it wants to do. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, we've seen Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain is ultimately a better film than this. And it's basically talking about the same story, yep. how actors uh, deal with the change. And, you know, some people, they used to hide their voices behind uh, the fact that nobody was saying anything. Silent movies were silent. Um, but that movie is a, is a better film than this, 100%. But one of the things that I would say is, is singing in the rain, the moral of the story is a lot less ambiguous. It's a lot more ambiguous than this. This movie dives into the darkness of the transition and how it affects people mentally. Um, that one, um, the singing in the rain, encapsulates that change in humor and uses singing uh, as an obf obfuscation. So you don't get to capture the the darkness of that whole transition um, as you watch them jump on couches and roll off chips. So this movie is a lot more serious, a lot more captivating on what the themes are. Um, but I, I, I also think that it may not be a better film, but I think the director did a good job. And I think the, the cameos were a nice touch to the film too. Granted, you recognize the people, right? Because otherwise, yeah. it's just kind of random people. I, I I didn't recognize them. Laura was just going, no, that's Pastor Keating. Huh? <laughs> she did the Leo DiCaprio meme. Yes. <laughs> All right. I, I got nothing else for the, for the arguments, but happy to go to the sidebar. Yeah, I don't have anything else. We can, we can go into the... Uh... We can go into the sidebar section too. Overruled. Sidebar. Guilty. Speculation. Hearsay. Bailiff. Briefcase. Disregard. In my chamber. Stop beaver on the witness. Arrest. We could totally be lawyers. Sidebar. <laughs> I come up with new tunes every week for the sidebar, by the way. If you Excellent. haven't noticed. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like you said, one of the things you mentioned in this movie was that there's a lot of gr grimness in it. And that definitely makes it feel like it's a movie that 
you can't just sit down with on a whim. It's it's gone. Yeah, yeah. It's you know she's kind of grooming him, and that's not great. And he's playing her right? because we we already know he's not not that great of a person. But then he's trying to squeeze out a lot more money and like you know, mm. kind of. So so it's just uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I I I guess that's the point, right? You're not supposed to like any of these characters, but I don't find enjoyment in that. Right? Like it's mm. it's an okay movie. I, I thought it was interesting. I think it drags a little too. The story that's told does not need to be two hours long. Mm-hmm. It's pretty it's pretty straightforward. But um yeah, I I know I there's an interesting kind of power move at towards the end there where when she calls um what's the name? Betty. She calls Betty to 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 try to you know out Joe Gillis in a way. It's like, oh, but I'm really the person he's with. And he, he's kind of doing this interesting power play of like, well, just come around and you'll see. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Um, okay. But a move that I, I didn't understand either. What was he trying to gain by doing that? I don't know. Well, I think he, he tried to take the wind out of her sail, right? Like she, she had mm. power over him kind of exposing him, but by him being like, I don't care. She can come by. Like she can see how messed up all of this is. Right. Like I, I always kind of got the feeling that he never really liked her, but he was in it for the money and for the, for the riches that surrounded him and for kind of security from the tax man that tries to get his car. So he's, Mm. he's like completely just exploiting it, but he's also not, really liking that like his his character is very strange i think i i think there's a lot that doesn't necessarily make sense his motivations on paper are okay i'm gonna get gonna get some money um and i'm gonna squeeze whatever money i can out of this old rich lady Mm. but what's the end game right like once once you recognize that she's she's got complete control over your life. Like there is no way out. You're not going to be able to leave. <laughs> I think the, problem, was, the problem, go ahead. the problem was for him, the problem, was him um, the problem for him was that he, he didn't have a life. His life was a mess. Yeah. Her life was a mess. Both their lives were messes. So they helped each other in some ways. You know, but their relationship was not healthy at all. But you can't deny the fact that they helped each other, for sure. So uh, they're both benefiting from each other. I don't think the relationship is great, but I don't think that, I do think that both of them are uh, problematic for each other, but they need each other at the same time. So it's it's a very weird situation for the two of them, very very weird. I, I but I think that the movie does a good job of capturing how weird it is, how unsettling the whole relationship is. 
it does a good job of it. You know, I don't, I think that's, that's what it is that you can appreciate. But it also means that the movie is very, it's like, it's like an uncomfortable watch. I don't, I didn't feel good after I watched the film. Yeah. I just felt like, oh man, it's going to take me a while before I watch this movie again. That's kind of how I felt. Yeah. But it's that, like on, on the spectrum of films that we've seen now that left us stunned and were like, not sure we need to watch this again. You know, this falls more into, um, what was it, the Italian film? Mm. <laughs> right. Versus like Grave of the Fireflies, right? Like mm. Grave of the Fireflies was so good and so effective and so depressing. Fantastic movie. We both loved it. But we both said, I don't think I need to watch this again <laughs> because mm. it is so depressing, but it's so effective. This one is very depressing, but I don't think it has the same effect and the same kind of like, this was brilliant, but I don't want to put myself through it again. It's more a, eh, I've seen it now and I don't think I have to see it again because mm. it's horrible people being horrible to each other. Um, yeah. That's depressing. Right. Go ahead. It's an interesting point you brought up. How close is it to, I mean, I guess when you think about it, you're kind of right. <laughs> Grave of the Fireflies, I don't, I, I, it's very difficult. I can't watch Grave of the Fireflies more than once a year. And it takes a lot for me to decide that I want to watch it. But the, the, the thing about it also is Grave of the Fireflies is an excellent film. Excellent film. Very yeah. good well-structured, it packs an emotional punch. This movie is a good film. Not very good. It's just a good film. It doesn't pack as a strong an emotional punch because everybody in this film tries to live above the fray. So nobody's being real with themselves. So there's a level of fakeness that glosses over the film. Um, and the movie is quite good for what it's supposed to do. But it's, yeah, it's one of those films, like, at the end of it, I'm like, I don't like the characters enough for me to go, all right, I want to watch this film again. It's, it's more of a, all right, why, why am I watching it? And I've heard quite a lot about Sunset Boulevard. And this was the first time I ever watched it. Um, so it's interesting to see, especially when you're riding around Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. Everybody's like, have you been on Sunset Boulevard? Have you been on Sunset? At least now I know why they say all that. Um, but I don't think it's... I don't think it's a movie that I can see more than once a year. So, you know, yeah. you're quite quite right in your analysis. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the Sunset Boulevard that's shown in the movie here is is obviously now very different from Sunset Boulevard now. <laughs> All the space. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, that's fascinating, I suppose. But yeah, it's... It's a weird movie. And like I said, like my first exposure to the material was the, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Mm. And uh, I've seen that like a regional production once. Um, never really got into the music of that show. Um, mm. And I'll, also there, I never found the story to be very compelling. So I never really liked the show. Uh, except for like one or two songs, like I said. So it's... I don't know. Maybe it's just me where I'm like, I, don't, I just don't like this material. I don't like the story. I think the story is it's just not great. And neither the film nor the, the musical are, are interpretations that I like. So 
just chalk that out. That's a miss for me. Fair enough. I, 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 I'm going to say this real quick. I think this movie lives and dies by the effectiveness of the actors, the chemistry yeah. of them. Um, and I think that Gloria Swanson, irrespective of what you think about her, she does a great job of portraying, especially with the movement she makes, the hand gestures, the way her eyes move. You know, she mentioned one one point where, at one point in the film that uh, we didn't need to talk because we made our eyes talk. Uh, talk. And, you know, throughout the film, she was portraying that in whatever she did, exaggerated movements. If you find an actress who is not able to do that kind of thing, this movie will fall apart. Because the strength of the film is us buying into the mental breakdown she's having. Um, so, and I don't think a lot of films, a lot of actors can do that because she's coming in from a real place. She had to deal with the transition. So when she is acting, she's acting from a real perspective. Everybody else, you know, you tell an actor to do it now, they're going to be doing it from uh an acting perspective because they never going through that experience. So the movie is going to live or die based on her ability to sell the fact that she's a fading actress. Um, and the main character, uh, the writer, uh, we, the movie um, will be, uh, will be on the foundation that we do not like him for his sleaziness. Um, and I think that that works fundamentally. Um, I think anybody should at least see it once, but I don't know if anybody can see it. Like, it's not going to be on your favorite films to watch at Christmas. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All right. Which, That's all uh, I have to. Yeah, yeah. What well, maybe, you know, on our favorite movies for Christmas list, it's the next one Paths of Glory. Um, I don't think I've ever seen this movie. Me neither. It's another... Oh, it's an anti-war film by Stanley Kubrick. Hmm. I've never seen it since... It's... Uh, oh, by Kirk Douglas. That's... Uh, he's the father of uh, uh, Michael Douglas. Yep. All right. Okay, well... Cool. I guess uh, we'll get to see that too. Yeah, interesting. Uh, never knew there was a Keurig. That'll be good. Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, All right. Until then, though, good. where can people find us? They can find us on uh, Instagram on on X uh, at uh, Movie Mistrial, and they can send us an email at contact at moviemistrial dot com. And until then, All right. have a good day. Sure thing. Bye.